0: Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.
1: From the pages of the Blizzard, the Football Quarterly, we bring you the Blizzard podcast, a weekly look back through the Blizzard archives, where we bring you some of our favourite articles to have appeared in the magazine since we began back in 2011. In episode 66, we feature Care for the Community by Gabrielli Marcotti, first published in Issue 6 in September 2012. The path to fandom used to be pretty straightforward. An older family member, usually a father or grandfather, sometimes a sibling or uncle, took you to watch your local team. You were smitten, and the addiction began. You went as often as you could. You read up on whatever there was to read about your team. When you were old enough you started going with your friends. If you moved away, whether for work or study, you always caught the results in the papers, and, when you were home for the holidays, you caught a game. That was the blueprint for many years, and it worked. It steadily churned out generation after generation of fan who knew and understood the game primarily as a live event. Anything on top of that was special occasion stuff delivered via television. FA Cup Finals, World Cups, Match of the Day. It didn't really matter if your team was on or not. You watched because it was football, and you liked the sport, but you were under no illusion. Supporting your team was different, and you lived your fandom in a different way. Times have changed. For most, the introduction to football is via television and the internet. That's where you fall in love. That's where you become a fan. And even if you are a young kid who is lucky enough to have a family member with the time and finances to take you to watch your local team, consider the circumstances and the competition. You're 10 years old. Dad takes you to the city ground to watch Nottingham Forest, say, 20 times a year. Most Saturdays plus the odd FA Cup tie, but not in midweek since you have school the next day. Beyond that, apart from Dad telling you about how they got on in their away matches, brief highlights on TV... Consulting the league table every Sunday, and maybe conversations with a couple of Forest-supporting mates at school, this is pretty much the extent of Forest in your life. Meanwhile, Manchester United are on the box, between league, European and cup fixtures, once or twice a week. Every week. Their players show up on Sky Sports News. The club are all over the papers. Everybody at school, regardless who they support, has an opinion on Wayne Rooney. Oh, and they're very good. Much better, in fact, than Forest. Might you turn your back on your local club in exchange for membership of the Red Empire? Possibly. And that's with the cards stacked in favour of you being a Forest fan. Most kids don't have the privilege of football with Dad on Saturdays. And yet they still have the lure of faraway clubs served up via television. Some will argue that the only way to turn the tide is to rethink the way football revenue, especially TV money, is shared. They'll talk about levelling the playing field, giving everyone an equal slice, and introducing salary caps to banish the Roman Abramovitches and Sheikh Mansour's. That way, everyone will have a shot at winning, success will be shared around, and, with it, so will fandom. Well, this isn't about that. The harsh reality is that the ship has sailed on that front. The Premier League isn't going away any time soon, and, for that matter, neither is the Champions League. And besides... The distribution of domestic TV money in England is already very equitable, at least in the top flight. But there is another way. Television may have made life more difficult for those who believe in, above all, supporting their local club. Why watch Scunthorpe every other week, when you can watch United just about every week? But what if football rethought its relationship with TV? What if you could come up with a plan that would, at once, revitalise local support help smaller clubs market themselves better, boost attendances and, yes, increase the size of the pie for everyone. What follows is a modest proposal, inspired by the NFL's approach to TV in the United States. It's a strategy that requires tweaks, sacrifices, cooperation between the Premier League and Football League and, perhaps, a leap of faith, but hopefully one worth exploring. The first thing you do is get rid of the TV blackout rule the one which prevents broadcasters from showing live football between 2.45pm and 5.15pm on Saturdays. It's a stupid anachronism dating back to the time when folks believed that televised football was a substitute for going to games. It's meant to protect attendances, but, in fact, it does no such thing. It assumes that if you're a Liverpool fan in, say, Huddersfield, you'll watch the Reds at 12.45pm on Sky, and then set off for the gal farm. In fact, you'll probably do no such thing. You'll pick one or the other. Instead, divide the weekend into nine slots. 7.45pm on Friday, noon, 2pm, 4pm and 6pm on Saturday, noon, 2pm and 4pm on Sunday, and 8pm on Monday. The Friday night game is reserved for a game of the week from the Championship. Sunday at 4pm, as is the case now, is for the pick of the Premier League games, as is the Monday night slot. The other six time slots are reserved for local games to be shown on a regional basis. For convenience, I'm referring to TV throughout this article, but, in fact, the football would also be shown via the web, but again using IP addresses and geolocation, with strict regional limitations. For example, let's say you're in Rotherham. Here's what your weekend lineup might look like. Friday, 7.45pm, Cardiff vs Bolton, the Championship Game of the Week. Saturday, noon, Sheffield Wednesday vs Brighton, a local game. Saturday, 2pm, Bury vs. Doncaster Rovers, a local game. Saturday, 4pm, Rotherham vs. Aldershot, a local game. Saturday, 6pm, Derby County vs. Barnsley, a local game. Sunday, noon, Chesterfield v Torquay, a local game. Sunday, 2pm, Carlisle vs. Sheffield United, a local game. Sunday, 4pm, Arsenal vs. Tottenham, Super Sunday. Monday, 8pm, Newcastle vs Everton, Monday Night Football. And if you're in Portsmouth? Friday, 7.45pm, Cardiff v Bolton in the Championship Game of the Week. Saturday at noon, Sheffield Wednesday vs Brighton, a local game. Saturday at 2pm, Portsmouth vs Oldham, a local game. Saturday at 4pm, Rotherham vs Aldershot, a local game. Saturday at 6pm, Bournemouth vs Walsall, a local game. Sunday at noon, Southampton vs Chelsea, a local game. Sunday at 2pm, Leighton Orient vs Crawley, a local game. Sunday at 4pm, Arsenal vs Tottenham in Super Sunday. And Monday at 8pm, Newcastle vs Everton on Monday Night Football. I could go on, but you get the picture. And I know what you're saying. If my local club are on TV, won't it kill attendances? Why would somebody march down to their local ground, when they can watch the club from the comfort of their front room, or, better yet, the local pub? Well, here's the twist. For a game to be shown locally on TV, it needs to be either an away match or a home game that sells out, or at the very least reaches some pre-arranged attendance goal. Ideally, only sellouts would be on TV, but in practice at some grounds that's very difficult to do. Hillsborough has a capacity of 39,372. Sheffield Wednesday averaged 21,336 last season. Expecting them to sell out is a big ask, so you set an attendance goal of, say, 30,000. If they can hit that, they're on TV. Doing it this way creates a virtuous cycle. Clubs would only get TV money if their home games are actually on TV. This would create an incentive for them to boost attendance, which, in turn, would lead to better marketing of games, and, above all, lower ticket prices. With extra TV revenue coming in, clubs could make games more affordable, especially for kids, without losing money. Obviously, it would take some tweaking to get the balance right, but it's a goal worth pursuing. What's more, if a game hits its target and makes it on TV, it will be the only English game on TV at that time in that region. There will be no competition except for foreign football. This isn't North Korea, you can't ban other broadcasters from showing overseas games. And if the game doesn't sell out, there will be no English football on TV in that time slot. So if you want to see it, you need to rock up to the box office. Think for a minute what this would do. Increased attendance means more bums on seats, including young ones, who might not otherwise have gone. Packed stadiums also provide a better atmosphere, which, in turn, provides more entertainment, both for those at the game and those watching at home. It provides more and better sponsorship opportunities, which, in turn, means more revenue for the club. Furthermore, you open up a whole new world of local commercial opportunities. A chain of curry houses in Sheffield won't want to advertise on Sky, because most of those viewing won't ever set foot in Sheffield. But if they could advertise on a local broadcast of a Sheffield United or Rotherham game, they'd be reaching a targeted audience of potential customers. Replicate this throughout the country, and you could probably earn even more commercial income on aggregate than that raised from national advertising today. What's more, a young Rotherham fan would know that every single one of his team's away matches would be on TV. And when Rotherham are at home, he would always have the option of seeing them in person, or, if they sell out, on TV. What better way to build loyalty to a club? But it's not just about maximising revenues, TV audience and bums on seats. There's a whole load of potential in having away games locally televised, particularly for mid- to smaller-sized teams. You could gather fans together on match days to watch together at churches, community halls, or even the football ground itself on a big screen. Obviously, different sized clubs might do this in different ways. A Premier League or Championship side might host fans at the stadium and show the game on the big screen, charge a quid to get in, and make money by selling food, drinks and merchandise, ideally at non matchday day prices. After all, what else are you going to do with your stadium when the team are away from home? A League Two side might rent a smaller venue, maybe different types of venues for different sets of fans. A kids venue with face painting and pizza, one for 20-somethings with lots of booze, a more laid-back place for the older folks. Imagine the excitement a young kid might feel every other week, when he goes with his friends, all kitted out, to the local community hall to watch his local club. If clubs were clever about it, they could maybe mix in retired stars or players recovering from injury or local celebs. Sure, it's another potential revenue stream, but it's not really about that as much as it is transforming following your team into a ritual one week in person, the next with other fans on TV. Either way, it becomes an event of the kind that is not just entertaining, but also captures the hearts and minds of young supporters. Sure, I can watch United on TV all the time, but can that match the excitement of following every minute of Rotherham's season with fellow Rotherham fans right here in Rotherham? The whole purpose is to consolidate the link between a community and its local team, and there are plenty of ways to do it. When you stop and think about it, right now, clubs are wasting 50% of their output, their away matches, and getting nothing in return in terms of marketing their product. They're not on TV. Except for a handful of travelling fans or a few minutes worth of highlights, nobody gets to see any of it. Not to mention older fans, less well-off fans, and those too young to go to home games. They too are denied their local club. Right about this time, I expect someone to pipe up and talk about local radio and the wonderful intimacy of the medium and how supporters can enjoy every match that way. I love radio myself. Heck, I even work in radio sometimes. But let's not kid ourselves. You try persuading a ten-year-old to sit and listen to radio commentary for two hours. Especially when the alternative is actually watching the game. I'm told there's a whole generation of cricket fans who would rather listen to Test Match Special on Longwave than actually see the game on TV. That's fine. That's cricket. This is football. And I simply don't see entire communities of people gathering around the wireless to cheer on their side away from home. How about the counter-arguments? We'd lose the sanctity of the 3pm kickoffs. Fine. English football is, rightly, proud of its traditions. But the game has already grown and evolved. We've lost the sanctity of terracing in top-flight football. We've lost the sanctity of shirts numbered 1-11. to We've lost the sanctity of having just three subs on the bench, and before that, two subs, and one sub, and no subs. The game grows and evolves. Some of these traditions are worthwhile, others are just customs. We can grow accustomed to different ones. And if it means strengthening the bond of local football, with younger fans learning that, first and foremost, you support your local team, then it's worthwhile. This could hurt travelling support. After all, if Rotherham are on TV... Why should I make that six-hour round trip across the country to watch them play? Well, the harsh reality is that travelling supporters make up a tiny percentage of football fans. Sure, these are often the liveliest, most passionate fans, but they're also a privileged subset who can afford, both financially and in terms of time commitments, to go and watch their team home and away. And besides, TV is not a substitute for actually going to a game. If they're passionate fans, they'll still go just as supporters still go to away games in the Premier League, even when they're on TV. Logistically and technologically, it would be a nightmare, far too difficult to pull off. Actually, it wouldn't be. Every Premier League and Football League game is already filmed every week. Sure, not every game has 20 cameras like on Super Sunday, but you don't need 20 cameras at every match. Nor do you need stellar production values. If the option is either watching it filmed with just seven cameras or not watching it at all, it's not much of a choice, is it? Besides, the costs of TV production shrink every year as technology advances. Sure, the fixture list would take some work, but that's what they have computers for. It's not the most complicated algorithm in the history of humanity. Put in the parameters and see what the machine spits out. Equally, regionalizing the games is technologically rather straightforward. Ever notice how, if you're from, say, Sunderland and you move to London with your Sky receiver and smart card, you'll still get the local news from the North East, until you tell Sky that you've actually moved and have a new address? That's because Sky sends you regional programming based on your postcode. And, based on that, it would be a breeze for them to send you regional football matches as well. The same goes for geolocation and IP addresses. The Premier League would never go for it. There would be fewer games on national television and, therefore, less TV revenue for everyone. Not necessarily. Sure, we'd go from four or five nationally televised games a week down to two, but so what? Every single game would be on TV somewhere, and the numbers would work out. Take Manchester United, the most extreme example, since they are the biggest televised draw and they are on TV more than any other club. Last season, they were on 29 times. Under this plan, the number of national TV appearances might fall to, say, 14, which obviously would be a blow in terms of audience but that would be mitigated by the fact that all 38 of their games, assuming they always sell out, which they do, would be on live in the Manchester region. Plus the fact that they sell out wherever they're on the road means they'd be on TV in every region they're visiting as well. United's total aggregate TV audience might fall slightly, but the vast majority of Premier League clubs and every single club in the Football League would see their aggregate TV audience skyrocket. And overall, that translates to more viewers and a more valuable TV contract. Sure, there are other issues that would need to be resolved. For example, you would need to figure out how to sell the TV rights packages, and how to split them among the various broadcasters. But that can be done. You also have the issue of several regions, London comes to mind, in which there are more than six league clubs. Doing it strictly by postcode and providing access to the six nearest teams by radius might penalise certain clubs. Geography doesn't always help. And what of those clubs that are isolated? Bournemouth might be one of the six league clubs closest to Plymouth, but does it really make sense to screen their games there? Here you could use some common sense. Maybe when one of the six nearest clubs is more than 75 miles away, you don't fill all six slots. Maybe you just show another game that happens to be on at that time, but which might draw some interest, a rival from the same division perhaps. Common sense should prevail. Sometimes fan bases don't always follow geography but what you don't do is show Manchester United everywhere simply because they have more supporters. It's easy to get bogged down in detail, but the key message remains. Television is the ultimate marketing tool when it comes to football. And for most clubs, crazy as it sounds, it's actually underused. If done correctly and intelligently, a plan like this can ensure that one of England's greatest sporting treasures, the visceral attachment to local clubs that still exists away from the Premier League, is maintained through the next few generations, even as the pressure to go the other way, and simply back a big club, becomes ever greater. That was Care for the Community by Gabriele Marcotti, first published in Issue 6 in September 2012. Also in Issue 6, Ben Shave on how corruption and inefficiency have squandered the legacy of Euro 2004 in Portugal. Philippe Oclair interviews Brendan Rogers on the importance of possession football and what he's learned from José Mourinho. Tim Vickery on how attitudes to the dictatorship shaped Brazil's change of approach in the 1970s. And our greatest games feature looks back at Spain 1, Ireland nil in the World Cup qualifying playoff at Parc des Princes in November 1965. Issue 6, like all issues of the Blizzard, is available on a pay-what-you-like basis at theblizzard.co.uk. That means that digital editions can be yours in a range of formats for as little as a penny a piece, while our print editions start at just £6 plus postage and packing. Subscription options are available, and you can also find us on the Kindle and Google Play stores. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Blizzard podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, or just about anywhere that you get your audio content. And if you have any comments, feedback, or suggestions about the podcast, you can email us podcast at or find us on Twitter at Blizzard, B-L-Z-Z-R-D. Selling a little,
0: or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage to the First Real Life Store stage, all the way to do We Just Hit a Million Orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow.